Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, joined by my co-host, Scott Martin, today. Scott, we're in the middle of uh, wildcard weekend here. It's Sunday afternoon. We just saw the Ravens take down the Titans. And uh, we got a good weekend of football here. Got a national championship game tomorrow. Uh, By the time everybody's listening to this, that'll be tonight. But uh, how are we feeling? Good weekend. Yeah, yeah, no, it's exciting. It's always fun. Obviously, uh, wishing I had some home teams to root for, but this time of year, that's uh, that's pretty normal. Pretty used to that. So, uh, yeah, no, excited for for got a pretty fun episode. Longing for a little bit more more MSU content these days. There's not a whole lot of news this week, but we got some fun things lined up. So, should be should be a fun one. Yeah, for everybody that's new to the show, uh, we've talked about this before, but we're an MSU football podcast, so we'll be talking football the whole offseason. If you're not subscribed already, make sure you do. If you're not following on Twitter, it's at Standing Room MSU and at Spartan Martin 18. So make sure you go ahead and follow those. If you haven't already, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and please share. Uh, to any of your friends or family that you think would appreciate some MSU football content this whole offseason, um, we're actually going to sit down here in the next week or so, have a couple beers, figure out our full plan for the offseason. But I definitely have uh, enough stuff planned already um, to lead us up to the spring game. We're going to rewatch some of these games. We're going to you know, revisit some predictions. Um, and today we got a fun episode. We're going to talk about the offensive side, I guess next week we'll get into the defensive side, but we're going to talk about the momentum at each position. And and we kind of each interpreted that in our own way, which I think makes the conversation a bit more interesting, but going per position, the quarterbacks, the running backs, the wide receivers, so on and so on. How do we feel about the momentum of that position going into the off season? And so we'll have a good conversation about that today. We'll talk about the offense next week. We'll get into the defense before we get into that. We did have some good Twitter questions. I sent out the mailbag here this morning. We got a good couple responses here. So we'll start with Derek Bycraft. That's Derek from the Buckarine podcast. Uh, go ahead and listen to that. It's a nice big 10 podcast they're talking big 10 football big 10 hockey actually they get into quite a bit so um, there's not a lot of big 10 hockey content out there so if you are um, a hockey fan make sure you check them out but Derek says uh, how much does MSU want to depend on the transfer transfer portal for a quarterback we saw mixed results with Northwestern with Hunter Johnson Hunter Johnson being bad that was the Clemson transfer from last year and Peyton Ramsey good obviously this year but that was a one-year fix with no good QB on the roster again. Is it better to go to get a good guy for a year or just use your guys on the roster? Um, I it, It's hard to say. I mean, Derek's a Michigan fan. We'll start there. So uh, I, I don't know if he's fully aware that we have already gotten a transfer quarterback in Anthony Rousseau out of Temple. Uh, Scott and I were talking about that before we hit record here, but Either way, the the point of the question, I guess, remains. Um, Scott, I'll kind of turn this to you. Like Anthony Rousseau is a one-year fix, right? As far as eligibility is concerned, he's got one year. So in a vacuum, let's start there without going into Peyton Thorne versus Anthony Rousseau. 
in a vacuum, would you rather have, I guess, a better quarterback or a more experienced quarterback for one season? Or would you rather kind of roll the dice with a younger quarterback and hope that you can get the most out of him throughout his entire career? Yeah, I mean, it depends. I know that's not a popular answer, but it it kind of depends to me on where your program sits. Um, If you're in a position like Northwestern was in where they knew their roster was kind of coming in and the stars were aligning for a good year um, and and you, you don't really have the luxury of developing a quarterback and wasting one of your better years at other positions, you know, you might look for a transfer quarterback um, who can come in and, and give you a good solid year to, to while your other pieces are coming around. I think most coaches would probably say, just like you said, in a vacuum, you want your own guy. You want to bring your own recruits in. You want to have a year or two where they can sit and get used to the program and the system and the playbook. Um, and, and then they come in with, with a little bit more familiarity with uh you know, how you like to run things. So like you said, we won't get into MSU yet. Um, I want to hear what you have to say first, but I'd say in a vacuum, you'd like to have your own guy if you need to. I mean, you had, I think Jake Rudock at Michigan as well, who came in when they had other pieces coming together and put together a really nice year for them when he was there. Um, and, and it worked out, but you know, you kind of, it's like a high floor, low ceiling situation most of the time, unless there's some really weird situation where you get a real, you know, a stud, who's looking for a grad transfer, but typically if you have a stud senior quarterback, they're going to the league, you know, as they max out at their first school. So um, yeah, I mean, like I said, typically you're looking for your own guy to come up through the ranks, but uh, it can be a nice bandaid when you need to, to fill a gap on, in, a, in a specific year. Yeah. And like you said, it does matter. It does kind of depend where your program's at. I, I I don't know really because on one hand you could argue that the one year experienced guy he can come in and provide some stability even if it's just for a year and I know that that might seem counterintuitive with hey if if you're looking for stability you want the same guy year after year after year uh but it, in a given year it does help to have a guy behind center who's been there before who's played a ton of snaps, who's played, uh, I mean, he's thrown damn near, I don't know, a thousand pass attempts in his college career. Like it, it does bring a sort of confidence. It does bring a sort of uh, reliability to the offense. I mean, this guy's thrown 900 passes in his career at Temple. He's thrown for over 40 touchdowns. And for as good as Peyton Thorne might've looked in flashes, he can't match that in any way, shape or form. So I, you definitely in a vacuum would like your guy to come through the program to, to be there for three or four years and develop and really prove himself and be somebody to build the rest of the offense around. But I, I do understand the folks that would say, no, like I, I would prefer this guy who would come in and just kind of stabilize everything for a year you know, let the wide receivers in this program make plays and go out there and kind of give us a winning floor where, Hey, I I'm pretty sure with Anthony Rousseau in there, he's not going to make too many mistakes. He's going to be controlled. He's going to be comfortable and we can go out there, win five, six games, get to a bowl game. And and that can help out our recruiting and on the off chance that Peyton Thorne comes in or this young quarterback comes in and, and really struggles you win two or three games, it sets back the recruiting, it sets back everything. So it does depend on the situation, but also uh, it, it can go either way in that sense. So I don't know, in a vacuum, I think I would prefer the, the long-term guy, but I, I guess in this situation, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards Rousseau, to be completely honest, right now. Again, I've watched all these games twice so far. I'm going to go back and rewatch them all again, probably two or three times throughout this offseason to kind of just really see what we had in Peyton Thorne. Because that Pey- that Penn State game was so impressive, but he did have moments in, in every game where he saw flashes of uh, of some yeah. trouble. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think there's a correct answer to this one. Well, yeah, the other aspect that I don't want to lose here, not so much the X's and O's, but you know, around leadership, um, Mel Tucker specifically has made a big point that he wants their quarterback to be the biggest competitor on the team. And, and with that, you know, somebody that 
the other that his teammates look to as the leader of the offense. And that's not to say, you know, a transfer quarterback who's coming in and out for one year can't be a leader, but you know, everybody knows to be a good leader, you have to have relationships with the people you're leading. And it's just a tall task to develop those relationships, you know, in that short time span to the point that you can be the leader of the offense to the fullest extent that somebody like Mel Tucker might look look for you to be. So, um, well, I mean, I don't know what kind of leader Peyton Thorne is either. Again, in a vacuum, you'd love your quarterback to be a leader and, and this situation can make it tough. And some guys who are out there just have the confidence and kind of the, the moxie to walk in and be a leader day one. They just know how to connect with people and they know how to lead a team regardless of where they are. So, um, you know, it depends on the player, but I, I know Mel Tucker obviously loves a competitor and a leader at that, at that position as most coaches would. Um, and I think that's even more important and almost unique to the quarterback position as well. Yeah. So we'll, we'll continue to talk about the quarterbacks even later on in this episode. So we'll, we want to make sure we move on here. We get to everything Spartan one, eight, seven, seven, zero. I'm just going to start referring to you as Spartan bot Spartan bot. Uh, he's got a couple questions here today. One uh, now that Jay Johnson has had a year with this team, Will we see any new offensive wrinkles or emphasis on certain formations? Uh, I, I, one of the offseason plans is to definitely revisit our coordinators, uh, Scotty Hazleton on defense, Jay Johnson on offense. And really, when I go back and rewatch all these games a couple more times, really keep an eye on what they're doing on both sides of the ball. So I'm going to have a more in-depth episode on Jay Johnson later on this offseason. And we'll definitely have more talking points, but really as we stand right now, without getting too in depth, I guess one thing, as far as the emphasis, uh, something that I really liked that he did last year, I know he certainly had some flaws in terms of situational play calling, but one thing I really did was I really did like was pre-snap motion. Uh, that was something I saw a lot of at Colorado. Uh, and that's something that I saw quite a bit of in, in his one year so far in East Lansing and something I, I think he will continue to emphasize and something that I really want him to continue to emphasize because it helps your quarterback out so much knowing the coverage and a good way to know the coverage is get a little bit of pre-snap motion involved. When you run your wide receiver across the formation and the guy across from him follows him across. Well, you know, you got man coverage and that allows you to make some different changes at the line of scrimmage. So I, I like the pre-snap motion. He did a ton of that this year, a lot more than we've seen in, in years past. And it's just a simple way to help out your quarterback, make his life a little bit easier on a play-to-play -play basis. So that's something that I, I noted throughout the year. And again, we'll, we'll continue to get into this throughout the off season, but Scott, anything stick out to you about Jay Johnson, some things you hope for next year? Yeah. I don't think this question is, is so much around, uh, or the answer to this question is so much around him having a year to get comfortable in East Lansing as much as him getting comfortable around his personnel. Um, and like you said, we'll get into it. Uh, but we have question marks at quarterback. We have question marks at running back. We have question marks in the offensive line, uh, lesser degree the wide receivers, but it's, it's, you know, his comfort going to certain specific to the wrinkles. And we saw it a little bit last year um, when he gets comfortable with his quarterback or his team, that's when he'll kind of open up the playbook, but we didn't get a lot of opportunity to do that this year, because quite frankly, our offense didn't look very comfortable itself very often this year. Um, so it depends kind of how those position groups come along specifically quarterback in the offensive line. I think the running backs will find some hot hands and especially, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit, but with these new guys coming in. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I, I think he, he really likes the specific formations and the emphasis. I mean, they, they showed the same thing at Colorado kind of two years ago that they showed last year. They want to establish the run. You know, they, they have this um, 11 personnel that they love, which I'm okay with. I think it suits our strengths from a personnel standpoint as well with one running back and one tight end out there. I think they'll stick with that from a wrinkles perspective. Coaches always have more wrinkles up their sleeves. Like I said, it's just a matter of how comfortable they are with their team, you know, running it and, uh, and doing it effectively and not making mistakes. Cause a lot of times wrinkle plays are, can be mistake plays if you, if it's a, if it's a bad situation. So um, yeah, we'll see. I hope so certainly. Uh, but it, it just kind of depends where we find success and where we develop comfort, you know, in that playbook. 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good answer. And I think that's, again, we'll, we'll continue to dive. We'll have a full deep dive into this, so don't worry. But uh, as, as for right now, just some of the things we saw this year. Uh, Scott, I'll let you start with this next one uh, from Spartan Bot. The last question here before we get to our main topic. Aside from the QBs, what three players should we watch for in the spring game? It's tough to pick three. Honestly, I think the obvious answer is Anthony Rousseau. I mean, whenever you bring a new guy in who who has the potential to, you know, take over the quarterback position in his first year, there's going to be a lot of eyes on him in, in the spring, assuming we get to see any spring football. Um, and, and to, you know, I'll probably do this with all three players, but to more of a degree, the entire quarterback position, we want to see Peyton Thorne more. We want to see Rousseau and what he's got. And I think a lot of people are anxious to see what Hamp Fay has as well. Um, not to say he's going to make a huge run at the starting quarterback position this year, but just seeing him get some reps and, you know, see what he looks like yeah, in green enrolling, and white. Enrolling early, we're going to get a chance to see that. So that's always awesome. Yeah, definitely. So quarterback position, specifically Anthony Rousseau, um, kind of on the same note, these new running backs, I would say, I would have said joiner, uh, but now obviously we have the two transfer running backs coming in. So definitely want to see what they have. They both have pretty impressive film, um, and, and a nice diverse skill set on both sides, a little bit different runners joiners, a little bit bigger, but, um, the running back position definitely. And then I want to see, I don't have the specific name because it's kind of an opening in the roster right now, but I want to see who our third cornerback is. Um, you know, we've got, Anth- uh, we've got gross, obviously who I'm interested to see if he stays in the slot or if he goes to the outside. Now, uh, we've got Gervin who is tweeting about putting the clamps on next year. He, he used it. I wish I had it up actually, but he used a pretty funny name for his campaign uh, on Twitter for his senior campaign. But um, there is going to be a third corner. I mean, this coaching staff is not going to run away from that just because we lost a lot of defensive backs in this off season. It's the system they want to run and somebody is going to be there. He called it his clampaign, by the way. The cl- yeah, Durbin. the clampaign. I the love clampaign. defensive backs, man. They're they're my favorite breed of people on the planet. Speaking of this tweet, I I really love what the MSU uh, content team is putting out. They're doing like the personal highlights. I think we've done it in the past as well. But each off season, they put together a little highlight reel for each player, or, or at least a handful of players. Um, love to see that. But yeah, so back to the question. Um, who's the third corner to start the year? Um, this was a position, and we'll get into position groups this episode and the next one. It's obviously a position group that we thought was going to be a strength going into next year and has significantly thinned out almost completely um, in a matter of a couple weeks before Christmas there. So, um, yeah, who's the third corner? How do they look? Uh, and, and who's filling in before that fourth, fifth, sixth corners? Because obviously you want to have a two deep all over the field. Um, and then I think that's three, right? Quarterback, running back, and uh, in yep. corners. So that's where I'd look. Not specifically three players, but I hope I gave them enough to uh, to think about. Yeah, I I tried to get a couple of specific players in here. I ended up going with four because they're they're just I couldn't narrow it down to just three. Number one was actually Jalen Hunt, uh, the defensive tackle with Naquan Jones out. I think that he's going to be forced to to step into that starting role. And we saw him really excel at times last year. And I, I think he was a little bit inconsistent. So I would like to see him pick that up. Um, Deshaun Mallory, I'm pretty comfortable with where he's at. I think he had a phenomenal year. And I think that he's going to continue to get better and better. Jalen Hunt's the guy that I think has a ton of potential, and he certainly flashed that at times last year. But with him giving more of a chance here this year, I think that the best, if if we're trying to put the best unit out there, I think him and Deshaun Mallory together would be a really interesting and really dynamic combination. Uh, Devin Hightower, the linebacker, I think he's certainly going to have, I I've talked plenty about him. I loved his high school tape and I think he's going to get an opportunity here to play because Antoine Simmons is gone. Noah Harvey didn't play well. I think playing time is really up for grabs there. That leads me into Darius snow. The other guy here that I think could move to linebacker, he could stay at safety, but I think his best role would be, basically exactly what Xavier Henderson is doing. So 
I don't know if he's the kind of coverage guy that can play a free safety. I don't know if they're going to, if he's big enough to move down to a linebacker spot, but where are they playing Darius snow in spring ball? I think that's going to be really interesting. Something I'm following. And then a fourth guy that I'm just fascinated in. And I had to put on here is Trey Mosley. We started to see him healthy a little bit towards the end of the year. Uh, but with him fully healthy going into the off season again, we saw what Jalen uh, Naylor and Jaden Reed did this year. Like, is is he breaking into that top two? If we are in a two receiver set, uh, we'll talk about the receivers coming up here. But uh, I'm really interested to see his kind of role in the receiving room, his place in the hierarchy uh, now that he's back and healthy, and somebody that we thought was going to have a big year here this year and just you know couldn't get on the field early. Uh, what is his role here? So. A couple good questions here. Right before we get into our topic here, something that I totally forgot that we planned on talking about until right now, uh, Jim Harbaugh just signed on for a few more years. Uh, We were talking in the pre-show like, okay, let's set this thing up. And we talked about it last night. Uh, I sent a message to Scott at like three o'clock in the morning and uh, just kind of some thoughts um, and he mentioned we need to talk about the Harbaugh extension, and I totally forgot about it until right now. It's wild card weekend. I've had a couple beers this weekend. I've had one today already. So, uh, but yeah, Jim Harbaugh is coming back, and that's good news for everybody in the Big Ten, uh, except for like the the Maryland and Rutgers that he usually throttles by seventy to make sure that he does get this extension. But. I don't know what, like my, my first impression was they, they had the announcement and then they released the details of how everything structured. And I, I messaged you Scott, because my first thought was like, okay, I'm, I'm picturing the boardroom here. They're, they're putting together this deal. They're putting together their offer to give to Harbaugh's agent or however the whole process actually works. And they're saying, okay, well, you know, I think we want Harbaugh back, but you know, the, the results weren't great. I don't want to pay him as much as he's been making and everybody in the room. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. We, we shouldn't be paying him the, what he was before, like top 10 paid coach in the country. Okay. Okay. And they say, well, okay. So next the buyout, man, in case we need to fire him, we really shouldn't have to pay that much money. So let's let's make sure that we get a good deal on that. Where's the guy in the room that's like, are we are we this are are we really just gonna gonna give up? Like you're just acknowledging the coach. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're you're good enough to come back, but we don't want to pay you as much because you're not that good. And there's a decent chance we're gonna have to fire you. So I don't want to have to pay as much. Like where's that guy in the room for Michigan? But it, it's a good day for Spartan Nation. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, if you're Jim Harbaugh, you're all things considered, assuming you didn't get any NFL interest, you're on cloud nine. I mean, and to be fair, the contract, the way it's written, I don't think really does either Harbaugh or the school a disservice. I think it's written pretty well, given where they're at, if you really want to bring Jim Harbaugh back. Um, But Jim Harbaugh made the University of Michigan look like absolute fools in this process. I mean, he, he held them on a line you know, and said, yeah, I mean, I, I like to have you as a backup plan, but I'm going to see what else I can get, you know, test the waters. And when you look at this from a relationship perspective, like you said, who's the guy in, at Michigan who's like, well, first of all, this guy's not really performing that well. And second of all, he's making us look like assholes. Like, let's just move <laughs> on take our chances. And I get there's a buyout that they may not have wanted to pay during COVID, but like they had another year on their contract. Why not just sit on it, put them on the hot seat for a year and see what happens it's just, it was a weird situation. Like you said, it's great for the rest of the big 10. I'm psyched for it. I know we're three and three, maybe they'll, you know, beat us next year, but all things considered, we know half the time we're going to beat Harbaugh and uh, given where our program's at, you know, getting a new administration, if you will, kind of up and running, I'll take, you know, 500 for the next couple of years. I think a lot of Spartan fans probably would um, until Mel Tucker can really get his, you know, get his feet on the ground. So, um, yeah, I mean, wild, I think Michigan looked really foolish kind of being second fiddle to whatever Harbaugh's aspirations were and saying, Hey, you got a spot here. If you don't find anything better, I think it's kind of insulting to them. If I was a Michigan fan, I'd be really frustrated with the athletic department and with the university, 
Uh, but on this side of the, the wall, obviously, uh, I think it's hilarious and <laughs> I'm excited to, uh, to hopefully beat up on them for, you know, however long Harbaugh's in town. Yeah. I, you made the comment actually in our text messages that like, if I were a Michigan fan right now, I would be livid. Like yeah. they're just waving the white flag. They're like, you know, this, this isn't great. So we're going to reduce the salary a little bit, but it's good it's enough. Good enough. Like we don't really do. Do we really want to go through the process of going out and finding somebody else? And like, it's good enough. Let's just re up. Like I would be so angry as a Michigan fan right now, but uh, yeah, like you said, as a Michigan state fan, pretty thrilled about it. Pretty thrilled about it. Can't lie about that. So I wanted to make sure we hit on that. So let's get into our topic here. Uh, we're talking about the uh, the momentum for the offense, and we'll go by position group. We'll start with the quarterbacks and kind of roll through. Scott and I, we we each took a, a little bit of a different approach because, again, this was a, a 3 a.m. text message like, hey, I got an idea for the pod tomorrow. Let's just talk about, like, the momentum for each group going into the offseason. Didn't really define it a whole lot. So we're each kind of looking at this a slightly different way. The way, uh, Scott, I'll let you kind of explain your process before we get into it. But I, the way I'm looking at it is, you know, how were we on the year in general? And then how were we down the stretch? The last three games being Northwestern, Ohio State, North, uh, Ohio, Northwestern, Ohio State, Penn State. And how does that leave us with some maybe momentum coming into the offseason? Guys who performed well late in the year. And then I actually assigned like a number out of 10. Uh, I don't, I didn't mention that actually in the pre-show, but I, I kind of gave it like a five out of 10. If it's like a middle of the road, one out of 10, if it's like, there is no momentum, we're going backwards here and really struggling 10 out of 10 would be, man, they're, they're just flying into this off season. The, the people are screaming their praises and it should be a fun off season talking about this position group. So that's kind of the way I approached it. Scott, how did you look at this question? And then we'll get into it. Yeah. So, I mean, I took it basically as how did we feel about each position group last off season coming into this year? And then, you know, throughout the year versus how do we feel about it now? Um, so, I mean, that's it. That's it. We'll get into it, but that's, uh, that's how I took the question. Yeah. So I think, I think it makes it interesting having kind of two different frameworks. It makes the conversation, I think a little bit more intriguing here, actually. So we'll start with the quarterbacks. And again, the way I'm looking at it is how do we perform down the stretch? Well, Rocky Lombardi started the Northwestern game, played the whole game. He started the Ohio state game, played enough of a chunk in that game where by the time Peyton Thorne came in, the game was pretty much out of reach. Rocky Lombardi's obviously out of the program now. So looking at Peyton Thorne, the Penn state game is really the way you want to approach this. The second half of the Ohio state game, I'm not going to take too much stock into because we were down by a ton. We're going against a, a team that's competing tomorrow for the national championship. So you go into that Penn state game, 56% completion percentage. That's slightly above the season average 325 yards for a team that averaged about 238. So about a hundred yards over the season average three touchdowns to one interception. And then obviously we go ahead and bring in Anthony Rousseau, a temple quarterback. He didn't have his best year this year. So as far as momentum coming into this off season, um, he's had a couple great years at temple. This wasn't his best in terms of yards in terms of touchdown to interception ratio, but he did have his best year by far in completion percentage and he did have eight touchdown passes in his last two games. So going into the offseason, probably feeling pretty good about himself. I gave this a 7 out of 10. I, I think there's quite a bit of momentum with Peyton Thorne having his best game of the season. Probably the best quarterbacked game of the season in that final game against Penn State. And then bringing in who I think as of now and as of everything I've seen so far might be the best transfer quarterback on the market. Like th there just wasn't a whole lot of them this year. There wasn't that bona fide stud, the Justin Fields, the Joe Burrow, the, the JT Daniels, that guy just wasn't really there. So 
he's certainly one of the best, if not the best quarterback on the market. So I give this a seven out of 10. I think there's some good competition. There's some good momentum here going into the off season. And as an MSU fan, looking at this position for the next, you know, what, seven, eight months before the season kicks off again. Um, I, I think we can feel pretty strongly about this group compared to where we were last year, where it was eh, like Rocky's probably going to start. I don't feel good about it, but I don't know what we have in any of these other guys who haven't taken snaps. So uh, that's my thoughts, Scott, I'll kick this over to you. What do you think about that? And how did you kind of assess this? Yeah, no, I think it's uh, like you said, it's an exciting position. Um, like I said, I'll, I'll look at kind of how we felt coming into this past season and throughout the year versus, you know, looking at next season. And if you take us back, not necessarily to this time last year, but at least to preseason last year, coming into this season, we had, I guess, if you want to really be broad with it, four options, you had Rocky Lombardi, obviously. um, And then you had Peyton Thorne and Theo Day, who at the time, nobody really knew which one was number two on the depth chart. Um, There were people in both camps, but largely it was Rocky versus the other, you know, whoever that was. Um, and then you had Noah Kim, relatively unheralded, unheralded recruit, um, number four guy who was a true freshman last year, probably read, no, I guess he didn't even have to red shirt last year. Um, but he was, you know, rounding out the room. Um, and it was definitely a contentious debate last off season. I mean, Rocky had intermittent, ironically, from an experience perspective, kind of a similar um, amount of experience that Peyton Thorne brings into this coming season, you know, one or two starts, um, intermittent play here and there in a couple other games. Rockies was a little bit more spread out over the course of a couple of seasons, but you know, you had glimpses, you didn't really know what was real and what was situational. And that's, I think kind of where we're at with Peyton Thorne going into this year. So last season, I think it was really, I don't want to say scary. I don't want to be too dramatic about it but it was uncomfortable because a lot of people from what we saw with Rocky was like yeah maybe he can put it together once in a while but he doesn't really look like he has all the tools to really bring it together as a a good big time quarterback there were a lot of people who felt that way Um, and we really just didn't know anything about uh, Thorne or Day or anyone else on the roster so it was it was really uncomfortable if we're using your out of 10 I think probably a lot of people would have put it three or four out of 10 going into last year that's generous Um, just from a confidence (laughs) yeah yeah I mean it was it was iffy and now you look at this year like I said you've got Peyton Thorne who has a similar amount of film that we had on Rocky going into last year but I think showed different tools that lead me to believe he's a more promising I don't want to say prospect but you know, looking at the future, he, he shows more promise because of the tools that he has shown. And from just, he, he's shown that he can be consistent. Rocky never really showed like game in, game out, week in, week out. He can show consistency. Thorne has started to, like I said, limited film. But you've got Thorne, who I think a lot of people would be confident in trotting out there week one next year. A lot of questions still to be answered, but, you know, just from a confidence and comfort perspective. I think a lot of people feel good about that. And then you've got Rousseau, who maybe is the question mark coming into this year, but has played, you know, for, I think he's had three real seasons under center. I think he's been there. He was at Temple for four years, but he had really played for three years. So um, question marks in our system, question marks about how he'll react to big 10 play, obviously a higher level of competition. But again, you have a certain baseline level of comfort because he's just had the reps. And he's looked pretty good. I mean, like you said, he's not a bona fide stud, but he's a guy who, like I said, kind of like a Jake Rudak guy who you're comfortable, like he's shown enough that when you put him out there, you think he's going to make more good plays than bad. And you have a com- comfort level there. And then you've got kind of a, a stable of, you know, if something drastic happens, maybe we'll see that Mahamp Faye, Theo Day, maybe he makes drastic improvements over the off season. Um, Noah Kim, we don't really, we haven't heard anything about him. You've got some guys back there. I don't really expect to hear much about them unless something really dramatic happens. Um, but going back to your out of 10, like I think seven, seven and a half is probably a good place to be. We don't really see a guy who we're like, this is the guy, if he takes off, we're going to be great. But you got two real good options where you're like a lot of fans and hopefully the coaches are feeling like if either of these guys come out week one, we feel good about how we'll look. So um Obviously, 
a really important position. And uh, I think we're, we're in a lot better shape. So I would say we have momentum at this position going into next year. Yeah. Which like you said, is, is a far cry from last year where <laughs> I, like I said, three or four would be generous. I would probably have put it at a one or two. So I, uh, it does feel good to have not, not stability, not, even a hundred percent confidence, but a little bit of momentum, a little bit of confidence going into the off season, feeling decent about the quarterback spot and the running backs. Uh, since we have last spoke last week, we brought in another transfer, another running back out of wake forest, Kenneth Walker, the third, um, somebody who has played the last two years over at wake forest. He had exactly 579 yards each of the last two years, which I thought was interesting. Obviously, <laughs> consistency. Um, two, yeah, two seasons with a, a completely different number of games. Um, but I, I did think that was that was kind of funny when I was looking at, uh, you know, how how he played. But l- let's look at again at the last couple of of weeks here at Michigan State. So the the season average, and, and this isn't perfect. I know that that the quarterback rushing. I know that you know Tyler Hunt. Uh, it, there there are some other variables here, but the season average was about 90 yards per game on the ground with 2.7 yards per carry. Northwestern was probably our best rushing game of the year. Obviously Rocky Lombardi factors into that, but 195 yards, a lot of chunk plays by the running backs, 4.15 yards per carry. Ohio state took a little bit of a dip back 81 yards on the game. Uh, you had the rushing touchdown by Thorne. So that doesn't really apply to the running backs. And then Penn state, was a game where the, there was not a great rushing game in general, but I, I do think it was Jordan Simmons' best game or Justin Simmons. I, Jordan's, why am Jordan, I blinking? Right. Jordan yeah, Simmons. No, Jordan. I don't know why I'm blinking on this. Antoine <laughs> Simmons, Jordan was. Simmons, Justin Simmons. I, I don't know. Jordan Simmons probably had his best game of the season with 72 yards over five yards of carry. So y- you look at that. Simmons started to come on a bit towards the end of the last year, having his best game in the season finale. You bring in Harold Joyner, the transfer from Auburn, six foot four, 230 plus pounds. Uh, he kind of saw the writing on the wall. They had a freshman running back at Auburn, Tank Bigsby, uh, who really just became a workhorse. So he's a guy, the, the, the issue here is he has 15 career rushing attempts in a couple of years there at Auburn. So we haven't really seen him in a long time. We, we saw his amazing high school tape, but how does that transfer over with, with having really seen very little of him the last couple of years. And then obviously Kenneth Walker here, um, 2020, I, I, I didn't really notice this the first time in going through, I watched some of the highlights when we, uh, when we brought him in, I saw the stats and everything, but I didn't really recognize he had 13 touchdowns this year in seven games. Yeah. Like Michigan state had two touchdowns and neither of them were by running backs last year. Like you go by game. He had zero rushing touchdowns game one, but that was against Clemson. So, you know, you can forgive him a little bit there. And then the rest of the seasons, three touchdowns, one touchdown, three touchdowns, one touchdown, three touchdowns, two touchdowns. So he's somebody who's got a nose for the end zone He's a patient runner. Uh, a lot of people are throwing out Le'Veon Bell comparisons. I think we need to slow down a little bit with that, but he's a powerful runner. He's got a good frame. He's got good feet. He's certainly patient behind the line of scrimmage and waits for something to open up in front of him. And that was something you saw over and over again. So um, this was another one. I I don't want to, uh, you know, overstate this, but I'm putting in eight out of 10 with momentum going into the off season because these are all three guys that I think uh, I, I kind of put together like a, a little depth chart right now. I think Simmons is going to be the number one going into the year. I think Walker will probably be the number two. And I think Joyner will actually be the number three go- running back going into the year. Um, he's certainly going to have a role carved out for him given his size and athletic profile. But um, with all these guys having a ton of eligibility left, I think all of them have at least three years of eligibility. So uh, I feel really good about this group moving forward. I think it's just going to be a matter of the offensive line, figuring it out. And we'll talk about them later. But as far as the running backs, I think between the talent, the eligibility, 
uh, and the way that these guys closed out their uh, 2020 seasons with the exception of Joyner, uh, feeling really strong about this group. Yeah, and, and I mean, the benefit is if there's one position other than maybe wide receiver you want on the offensive side that you want a lot of deep talent, it's the running back position. I mean, you, you can work three, four teams have done five guys, you know, throughout a season, getting them all, you know, touches and playing to their strengths and, and just working them. And I think that's probably what Mel Tucker will try to do. These guys are all, when I say these guys, I'm really talking the top three. Um, it should be noted. Eli Collins could have had a bad year last year and he could turn it around and, and be freshman Eli Collins again next year. So I don't want to such a wild card this year is he like, yeah, he's got, I mean, when you look at it, he's got one great year and he's got one bad year. Um, obviously you'd like him to be reverse order. Uh, but <laughs> we know there's a good runner in Eli Collins somewhere. That could well, if, if it you know were how. the reverse order, I don't think we're bringing in these other two from the portal. So <laughs> True. <laughs> it's a mixed bag. Um, yeah. So, I mean, these guys, like you said, Harold Joyner, he's a big athletic guy. He's six, four, um, big frame. That doesn't necessarily mean he's only a power back. He's got pretty good top end speed and he's decently agile for his size. Um, and then Kenneth Walker, kind of a bowling ball type five ten. He's only two Oh six, but on a five ten frame, he's, he looks like a pretty meaty back while he's carrying the ball and certainly knows how to get behind his pads when he needs to. Um, but it's just, I mean, this, this offense and this, you know, staff is going to have their choice of what kind of running back they want with Simmons, who's kind of an all around guy kind of between the two. And as far as size Walker's kind of a shifty, smaller guy, but like I said, packs a punch when he wants to, and, and Joyner's just a big guy who's really athletic. So it's, it's hard to say without seeing him in our offense, Wake Forest has kind of a fluky option offense. So it's hard to know how Kenneth Walker will translate into our offense. Yeah, he did if a you bunch remember. of wildcat stuff too. Yeah. If you remember from our bowl game two years ago, Wake Forest is it's a run first by far, even from a quarterback perspective, they want to run the ball first and foremost. And they play that really, really, really delayed uh, option read, uh, read option offense where the quarterback and the running back are basically standing there next to each other in the backfield for the first two or three seconds of the play watching what happens with the offensive line so again a lot of that patience we'll have to see if that's a Kenneth Walker trait or if that's a Wake Forest scheme trait uh, but we'll see uh, but all in all like you said you've got three four ath really athletic guys you've got Davion Prim coming in as well don't sleep on him pretty solid in-state running back recruit who could also demand touches. Um, so kind of similar to quarterback, hard to predict what we'll see in, even in the spring game, but going into the first couple of weeks of the year, but you know, there's a lot to look forward to. And I think it's one of the strongest position groups, not only on the offense, but on the team this year. So going back to your ratings, I'd put it nine, maybe even higher out of 10. Um, I just not necessarily every guy, but I think there's, at least two guys where you can build a really well-rounded running game, assuming the offensive line can do their part as well. And that's where, man, the, the transfer portal, it giveth and it taketh away, right? Like we we've talked about some of the guys we're missing out on, but uh, throwing two guys right into the lineup here this year that will contribute right away. And that make us feel really good about a position group that three, four games into the season, I don't think we were so confident. So uh, the transfer portal is becoming a huge part in college football and, and it will continue to be. And uh, for Mel Tucker, somebody who plans on utilizing that even more here this off season, I don't think we're done seeing some of these guys coming in or out. So that that's going to be interesting storyline to follow the wide receivers. Um, uh, Scott, I'll let you start here. Cause I, I went back and forth on this one so much. It's a deep group, but there's some of the top end talent and we're losing a couple of guys. Like how, how are you feeling about the wide receivers here coming into the off season? Yeah. I mean, I think you've got your top two guys um, and Naylor and Reed who, you know, what you're getting honestly similar. Naylor's a little bit faster, but Reed's a little shiftier I'd say. Um, and you can rely on those guys. I mean, were there a couple question marks here and there with them? Sure. Um, but all in all, you know what you're getting. It's a solid foundation for your wide receiver core. Assuming they stay healthy, you're going to have those two options that are going to give you, other than against the top tier, you know, secondaries in the Big Ten, you're going to have a guy with a good matchup between the two of them. 
um, on the outside. And then you've got a couple guys in Ricky White and uh, Trey Mosley that you mentioned earlier who are kind of question marks. You know, coming last year, Ricky White, obviously, just for that season anyway, was a flash in the pan against Michigan. Hardly touched the field, it seemed like. It certainly hardly caught the ball throughout the remainder of the year. But you know what he has. I mean, he had tremendous ball skills. He was in tight coverage, so can't necessarily say his routes were getting him open. But when the ball was coming down, he did what he needed to do to catch the ball. So you've got a guy with great ball skills and athleticism and Trey Mosley, like you said, last year injuries, he came on a little bit at the end of the year. Wasn't super impressive, but at least got back out on the field. But last year was kind of a wash for him, but two years ago at the end of the year, looked really fantastic. So, um, so be- another between, kind of question, I'm going to put you on the spot here between the two of those guys, Ricky white and Trey Mosley, if you had to bet a paycheck right now, who would you say has more receiving yards in 2021? Oof, that's tough. Because you got Ricky uh, White, who's shown like the high end 200 yard game, which is ridiculous. But then you have Trey Mosley, who's more of a steady Sally and has a little bit more game experience, but has not shown anywhere near that kind of high end ability. Yeah, I mean. If I had to bet a paycheck, I'm going to say Mosley. Um, first of all, because we have the tape on him and we know at the end of uh, 2018 season or 2019, excuse me, yeah. he was consistent. So he can be a consistent cor- uh, wide receiver. I don't know if Ricky White can be consistent. I mean, that's not to say I don't have confidence in him. I just don't know. We haven't, you know, he hasn't had the opportunity to be. He wasn't on a field to start this year and he was not on the field all that much to end this year. So um, I'd say Trey Mosley, the other aspect of that is Trey Mosley's a little bigger and kind of built from as more of a possession wide receiver. Ricky white almost is like a third Naylor Reed kind of guy, you know, he's, he's a little smaller, kind of squirrely, really athletic and quick, but is he going to get on the field as much just because the two guys in front of him are really similar. And, and do you want a guy like Trey Mosley to break it up and give you a different matchup out there? Um, so yeah, it's, it's tough to predict. Um, but this position group, I would say from last year coming into this year, comparing, I would call it a push not to say they haven't improved just to say they're in a very similar position. It should be a strength coming into this year and now they're more experienced. So, you know, maybe just from an experience perspective, you give them a, a little bit of bump in momentum. And it was, it was a position group that when they were given the opportunities this year, they were impressive. It was just frustrating because we didn't always have the consistency at quarterback to get them the ball. So um, assuming the rest of the offense comes together, it should again be a strength in our offense. And I would say we, you know, we we're keeping the momentum we had at this position group. Yeah. It's funny you say that actually, because I gave this a five out of 10, like right down the middle, because and that's not to say, again, we're talking about momentum going into the off season. So you're looking for really change. Like this was a, a position group that we felt strongly about all off season last year, going into this season at the beginning, middle and end of this season. So there was nothing that really happened to make a huge change for me towards the end of last season or going into this off season that makes me feel even stronger about it. So the, the questions I have is, is number one, like you mentioned, like where's Ricky white, right? We saw this 200 yard game against Michigan and then just disappeared the rest of the year. I think he had two receptions outside of that Michigan game all year. You have Trayvon Morgan leaving in the transfer portal. Now was he going to be the all big 10 receiver that, some people thought he was going to be this this huge red zone threat that was going to have five, six, seven touchdowns a season. I don't know. He certainly showed a couple of that, that, that talent in a couple plays against Penn State, but him leaving makes it a little bit thinner, right? Anytime you lose one talented guy, you have to think about it a little bit. And then the the weird thing was the last three games of the season, Northwestern, Ohio State, and Penn State, only three receivers had any catches in those three games. Uh, Jalen Naylor, Jaden Reed, and Trey Mosley were the three guys. You didn't have any other wide receiver catches in the last three games. So it, it, it's a deep group in the sense that there's more than just one or two guys. But 
Is there more than three guys? I, I think so. I think Ricky White can be that guy. Is there more than four? I have no idea, right? Lockett is a guy that we didn't really see much of last year. Um, there's going to be some incoming freshmen, but again, we haven't seen those guys. Morgan is leaving. So there's, we're, we're, we have some question marks in terms of the depth. We know, like you said, that Naylor and Reed are strong. These guys are, are a, a confident one and two going into big 10 play. But another thing too, that we have to keep in mind, Naylor stayed healthy this year. That hasn't exactly been the trend in his career. So if he goes down at some point next year, we're going to have to rely on some of these depth guys to pick up the slack. And that's something I just, I guess we just haven't really seen, especially with Morgan leaving. So five out of 10, I, I do feel really strongly about the top two guys I do feel very comfortable with Trey Mosley, given what we've seen on tape. And that, again, the beginning of last year just wasn't able to to get up to speed with some injuries. So I, I feel good about those three guys, but what do we have behind them? I have no idea. So in terms of, of momentum, something different going into this offseason, it's a five out of 10. It's right down the middle. And that's not to say that I don't feel good about it, but it's just something that I don't feel any more... Uh, any better than I did at the beginning of the year in the middle of the year. So um, moving on to tight ends, another passing group, uh, pass catching group. This is a tough one because I'll just say right off the bat, I gave it a four out of 10, just under, uh, under the midway, because on one hand, Trent Gillison did nothing last year, man. And that was somebody that I expected to really have a breakout season and, and just Again, you're looking at momentum from last year going into this year. Trent Gillison was coming off the best year of his career in that Wake Forest bowl game where he had that 60-yard reception. He had a big game. He didn't show anything this year, and that's really troubling. Matt Dodson had an up-and-down year. wasn't great. But the only thing saving it, oddly enough, is is the former punter, Tyler Hunt, who who came on and just, I think he just got better and better and better as the season went on. So I don't know. He's the only one saving this position group really. But again, do you feel great about Tyler Hunt going into next year, being the guy, the tight end for a team that utilizes the tight end quite a bit? I don't know, but it, it was more than just like a nice story. He was a good football player it was somebody that just continued to to improve, continue to get better and better, not only in pass catching, but in blocking as well as the season went on. So where are you at with the tight end, Scott? Yeah, like you said, it's a tough one. Um, I don't know if it was the scheme or the quarterback's decision making this year, but it felt like this was just a lost position this year. Um, it's not that the tight ends played poorly. They just it felt like they didn't play. I know they were out there, but it just, you never, they never made anything notable, you know, happen. And in an 11 personnel, to be fair, you know, the, the, the previous staff liked 21 personnel with two tight ends out there a lot more than this staff does in 11 personnel with one tight end. And that just means you've got half the snaps for tight ends. So, you know, there's just that many fewer opportunities for tight ends to make plays, but it, yeah, I mean, from a momentum perspective, you look at where we were last year, we had Matt Dotson kind of, I don't want to say sure-handed, but the, the veteran who you knew what you sure were handed compared to some of the guys that I won't <laughs> name we've had previously. He's, uh, yeah. I mean, he's a good, not great tight end who you can rely on to generally do the right thing, run his routes, block. Okay. You know, catches more than he drops. Um, but Trenton Gillison, like you said, was really the guy that a lot of people were looking at is like, this is the athletic guy who could really bust out this year. And it just, it just didn't happen. I mean, it, it, he was on the field a little bit. He didn't get all that many snaps. Um, like I said, in 11 personnel, you got one tight end. Most of the time Dotson was out there a bit. Hunt was out there a lot. Berghorst was out there as more of a blocking guy quite a bit this year. Um, yeah. I would say we're trending down at this position just because we don't really know who's going to be the guy. I know Tommy Guajardo came in last year, didn't really touch the field this year, but was a pretty exciting recruit. Uh, from from Dearborn we'll see maybe he makes an impact this year I think this is another one of those positions where it's like if any of the guys on the roster want snaps 
the snaps are there for them to go out and win. I mean, there's, there's no clear cut starter. Who's like, this is my job. You're not going to take it. It's whoever it is. We did see on the note of Matt Dotson, we did see him get a little bit more involved later in the year um, when Peyton Thorne started to throw the ball. And I think that's a little bit, you know, attributed to the fact that Peyton Thorne was better at reading his intermediate levels, his intermediate reads. Um, we were running a lot of rollouts with levels routes where you have, um, you know, got a, a low, medium, and a high read. And the tight ends are typically running the medium reads, which um, are in traffic. And a guy like Rocky Lombardi, you saw it early in the year, he tried to throw into traffic and it imploded. He was throwing a lot of interceptions. And then it seemed like he just started to avoid those routes. And that's where the tight ends sit. You know, they're in those pockets underneath, between, you know, the linebackers and the safeties or between the defensive line and the linebackers. And it, it just felt like there was no room for them to get involved this year. So I'd give it a three or four out of 10. I agree. Not to say these guys can't play, just they, they just seemed like they weren't on the field this year. Um, and I think, like we said, they had a little bit of momentum go, coming down the stretch. So if I was taking your approach to say how they look throughout the year versus how they look at the end of the year, maybe I'd give them a five because uh, they did start to, to get their name called a little bit more. But definitely an area I'm sure the offense wants to expand because, you know, you got six guys who can touch the ball on offense. And, and this year it felt like tight ends were just guys who weren't touching it. So certainly an area to keep an eye on. Yeah. And you, you got a recruit coming in Cameron Allen from Texas is somebody that that's a game breaker type athlete. When you pop on the tape, he's had a couple like 60 plus yard touchdowns. Is he going to be ready freshman year? Probably not. That's a really tough position to transition as a young player, but uh, that's somebody that I think down the road, I, I am pretty excited about, but if we're looking just at this off season, not really to not really counting on him, let's say going into 2021, but an exciting prospect. Nonetheless, we'll get into That's another episode sometime this off season is to really go through all these recruits and, and see what stands out on their film uh, specifically to each player. But last up, we got the offensive line, Scott, I'll let you kick this one off giving your context, given my context, however you want to frame it. But the offensive line going into this offseason, it's going to be something that we talk about a lot because it's one of the most important position groups on the field and something that we struggled in the last few years, really. How do you feel going into this offseason here in 2021? Um, I would say I feel worse than I did last offseason. Um, and that's probably because I was naive last offseason and expected that experience meant better play um obviously this is a position group that if it's not functioning well it can derail your season immediately um the quarterback needs a good offensive line the running game needs an offensive line and obviously for a quarterback to be playing well uh or for the receivers to be playing well they need a good quarterback which comes back again quarterback needs a good offensive line so it's a position it's well a position group that is you need good play if you're going to have a successful season. And two years ago, it was really bad. It was really bad. Um, last year, I thought we'd take strides forward. And it was up and down. But all in all, I'd say it was not a great year, again, for the group. And I thought Chris Kapilovich, our new offensive line coach, would, would really help us take a step forward. Um, maybe that's just implementing a new scheme at a challenging position. And maybe they just need a little bit of time under the new scheme to take strides. But I would say coming into this year, I don't feel as good. We lost Devonte Dobbs, who a lot of people were waiting for him to break out and start making an impact. And he's gone to Memphis now. And that's not to say it's a big loss necessarily because he wasn't playing this year, but it was one of those guys who you, you kind of had penciled in as like, let's see how this guy looks. Not going to be able to see that this year. We're and at the very least, the offensive line is a group that you're always looking for depth because you know guys are going to get banged up at some point. So at the yeah. very least, you're losing some potential depth there. Yeah. So there's a part of me that wants to take a similar approach and say, hey, we largely have the same personnel coming back and experience should mean better play. But that's the approach I took this year and it didn't look <laughs> And great. last year so, and the year before. It, yeah, I mean, it's it's just, it's not coming together. And perhaps we were spoiled by D'Antonio because, you know, Mark Staten and D'Antonio were just really good at, you know, 
these junior and senior linemen, once they put enough reps in at the program, they were started to churn out really solid performances. So we came to expect that. And that did not happen last year um, or even the year before uh, D'Antonio's last year with the program. So it's like I said, from my perspective, I would say we lost momentum on this year as a whole. And really, it didn't seem like we got that much better as the year went on. I mean, game one to game two, we certainly got better. They looked horrific against um, Rutgers in the first week this year. But there were games throughout the year that they just looked overwhelmed. And there was a little bit of churn, too, a little bit of moving guys around. I think there were a couple injuries. But largely, this was one of the healthiest years we had in the offensive line um, in recent memory. So, again, if you take the approach of experience means better play, we should take a step forward. Hopefully year two under this scheme means they'll be more comfortable. Hopefully we'll get a full off season so we can implement a playbook more thoroughly. Um, but at this point, I'm kind of a, I'm going to wait to see it, to believe it. Um, and I think we lost a little bit of momentum this year. I'm in the same boat because as you mentioned, there's, a wait and see approach that I think I'm taking more this year than I have in the past in that, like you said, a couple years, like the, I remember the 2017 going into the 2018 season, we returned like every single starting offensive lineman and, and it was a healthy offensive line in 2017. So we were returning like 98% of our snaps or something. And that's almost always a correlation in football for uh, a success. When you have yep. uh, an experienced returning offensive line, that was pretty decent in 2017. Um, not great, but at least pretty decent. 2018, they let us down. And then going into 2019, it was like, I think we had only lost one guy, maybe two. No, well, we got a lot of experience coming back and and they sucked again. <laughs> and then it was just like, <laughs> all right, I, finally this offseason, I'm taking a, I'll believe it when I see it approach. And yeah. that's not to say again, that Chris Kabalovich was the wrong hire or anything like that. I do think that he was the right hire. I do think that in the end, he's going to pay dividends for this offensive line and they're going to improve, but how much are they going to improve? I'm not really sure. I put this at a three out of 10 in terms of the momentum, just because they struggled all year long. If you want to look again at the last three games, the season average being 90 yards per game, the last three games, you have 195 yards against Northwestern 81 against Ohio state and 119 against Penn state. So you have two of those three games where you're above that season average, one of them emphatically so. But again, a lot of that was due to to bringing in like Rocky Lombardi started scrambling against Northwestern. Uh, Peyton Thorne was a huge part of the rushing game against Ohio State. I think he was over half the team's rushing yards on scrambles. So it, it's not a perfect measure uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And so... I just don't feel great about this unit going into this year. And again, Devontae Dobbs being out uh, at the very least, you're losing some depth there at the most you're losing a potential starter. And then we've talked about it, but like Carrick's performance against Penn state was one of the worst offensive line performances I've ever seen. So you have a, a potential starting guy, somebody who's going to be in the mix who is coming off of by far his worst game and, again, one of the worst games I've ever seen. So not a whole lot of momentum here going into the off season. Again, like you look at that Penn state game and I talked about it was Jordan Simmons probably best game. He had 72 yards on five yards of carry everyone else in that game combined for, for like 16 carries for like what uh, not very many yards, uh, 30 yards or something. So <laughs> It's like, yeah, he had a good game, but that was a lot to do with a couple broken tackles and him playing really well in on the individual basis. So I, I just don't feel good about this unit. I feel good about JD Duplain. That's somebody at the left guard spot that I feel comfortable with going into the year. But Kevin Jarvis, I'm sick of talking about potential with him. Like he's been a starting offensive lineman for three years for this team and just has not been consistent at all. AJR Curry at left tackle, he's shown some flashes, but there's very little consistency there. 
And then the center and right guard spot have been just a rotating door the last couple of years. It seems like we've had no stability at either of those positions, whether it's the level of play or whether it's health, especially at center with Matt Allen being in and out of the lineup, like, man, it's tough sledding on this group. So I'll believe it when I see it. I'm putting this out of three going into the off season. There's not a lot of momentum, whether you look at it of your kind of context of how we felt going into this year compared to now, or whether you look at the last couple games compared to the first half, doesn't really matter. It's not a great look. So we'll see how this all pans out. We do have that Arkansas state transfer coming in. Maybe he can stabilize that right tackle or left tackle spot, but yeah, I'll believe in why I see it with this offensive line. I'm going to say that over and over this off season, because it's come back to the, the optimism of that group has come back to bite me in the ass a couple of times. So that's, that's going to wrap it up here. I think we kept this right around an hour as we typically do. So uh, let's finish up here. Uh, really excited for this off season. Make sure you stay tuned for it. I, I have a couple interviews lined up, uh, some really exciting names that I won't give out any spoilers right now, but make sure you subscribe if you haven't already, because they, there are a couple of interviews that you're definitely going to want to hear coming around the corner. And like we said, we got a plenty of off season content that we'll continue to talk about as spring ball is seemingly right around the corner here in a couple months. So we'll keep you updated on everything Michigan State football. I think the transfer portal is going to continue to see some action uh, both ways with, with guys leaving and with guys coming in. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're following on Twitter at StandingRoomMSU at SpartanMartin18. Follow on Instagram at StandingRoomSpartans and have yourselves a tremendous week. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Take care, folks.